I, I think so. I mean, I know everybody's experience is different. For me, it probably comes from I, I loved look, reading history books, and I think that gives you a real perspective on life rather than thinking about kind of the next two years. You're thinking about the next twenty, and and to read history also like it, it really puts it just puts things in context. Welcome to the Millennials and Money Podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and financial professional, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share the money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your host, Peyton Boyer, financial professional with Homes Financial. And this is another episode of the Millennials of Money podcast. I've got a very special guest today, guys. I've got my first guest from overseas. So it's 8 a.m. here in California. What time is it there, Charlie? Just gone past four o'clock here. <laughs> yeah, so Charlie is an author and an investor from, are you in Britain? Yes, yeah, based in London. Oh, based in London, man, look at that. And you know, you know normally I start this podcast sharing how I know my guests or how I've met my guests, but you and I haven't had a chance to meet other than right now, like five seconds ago. So how'd you find out about the podcast and How'd you get in contact with me? Yeah, sure. So I've been, I've been looking through a couple of the finance kind of podcasts, having listened to some of yours, and I, I thought certainly your content was, was quite good. I thought it was quite accessible quite, and, and quite interesting both at the same time, so I was keen to, keen to be a part of your podcast. Well, that's good news. You know, if, if I'm being heard of over, overseas, that's really good news for me. So I'm excited about that, and I'm really excited to have you on, Charlie. Excited to learn more about you, learn more about your story, and also learn more about what life is like financially over in a different country. So let's get this show started like we get them all started, you know. It's all about money. Well, before before I go into that, why don't you take some time to introduce yourself to what you do for a living and, and some of your passions? Yeah, sure. So, so as you mentioned, I, I'm, I'm from Great Britain. I, I live in London, um, but I was educated degree educated out in China. I did four, four years out there and then came back to the UK and spent a decade uh, at Jupiter Asset Management. I, I guess you probably haven't heard of that company in, in the US, but it's a London listed, quite, quite a large asset management company uh, in London. And I primarily looked at emerging market opportunities. Um, so that's less developed nations like, for example, China, Brazil, uh, Russia, South Africa, etc. Et and I spent about a decade doing that. I, I managed a London-listed company called the Jupiter Emerging and Frontier Income Trust. And then more recently, I've been writing this book, the Company Valuation Playbook, which, which really pulls together a lot of what I feel kind of I learned my, my own experience um, into quite an easy, easy to understand 220-page book. I'm excited. I'm excited to dive in here more about what the book's about because it's needed, you know, especially things like emerging markets. Like these are sectors that the average person is not familiar with. You have some experience and I'm excited to talk with you. But, you know, this story, this podcast is all, is all about people's money story. And, you know, a lot of times I've found that the mindset around money, of course, can always be changed, but the kind of cornerstones get put in place at a young age from childhood. So let's talk about what was money like for you yeah. and your household growing up? Uh, I mean, I, I was reasonably fortunate growing up. I've got no 
rags to riches stories. Uh, I, I had a kind of a, a fairly com comfortable childhood. Um, and, and my father was involved in finance, which was one of the reasons why I think kind of, I, I always found it quite interesting what he was doing, um, especially on the investment side. And I think from quite a young age, I learned that kind of making money work for itself can, can be so powerful when it compounds over time. Um, it, it's such a, and especially when you're young, I mean, I often say this kind of, obviously don't invest more than you, more than you can risk to lose. Um, but at the same time, getting invested at a long age and kind of watching that sum compound over time, there'll absolutely be periods where the, the amount collapses. But but over time, over any reasonable period of time throughout history, um, you would have made good returns um, on any invested capital. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that, I think that's so huge, you know, at least for, from, for me and people that I know and people that I've met growing up. It's very rare that finances is, is talked about in the household. It might be different in the UK or overseas, but here it's like, at least for my generation, it's kind of like the baby boomers did their own thing and they 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 had money coming in. They didn't talk to us. We we were kids. We were taught to kind of mind our own business. But it sounds like your dad taught you about investing at a young age, being in the industry. My dad was in the industry as well, but still, we didn't talk much until I became an adult on about finances so is that something that's normal over there like you guys normally talk to children about investing or is it kind of separate still and you're in a uh, situation yeah no see, i i think i i guess a bit like america you, it very much is based on the family in terms of the curriculum that most follow in the uk that there's quite a few people that will take economics or business studies and, and from that point of view from relatively un young age you're you're introduced to some of the concepts um, around investing but it, a lot of it's not particularly practical when you look at academia and actually that's one of the reasons I, I wrote this book it, it, commonly you hear like people write a book out of love for a certain field I, I wrote it almost out of frustration um, that for those that want to get an easy step-by-step -step guide kind of easy content on how to how, how to be how to be an informed investor and value a share and make informed decisions kind of when investing. Uh, there's not really much, much out there. Obviously, there, there's a couple of websites that do it, but they, they only really scrape the surface. And quite frequently, I, I, I think a little information is almost more dangerous than no information at all because you have a false confidence. And so this book for me is like really trying to fill the gap. Uh, if you haven't been to university, haven't done finance, haven't learned economics, uh, absolutely no problem. This kind of my book starts right from the ground up with the assumption that you will know nothing, um, and that's it's very much written as the book I wish I had had when I was kind of in my early teens. That's awesome, man. Because that's that's what's all about. You know, I, I found that like me starting my career and a lot of other my clients starting their careers, it's we're looking for something, we're looking for a resource, and then when you when you're out looking for that resource, you realize, wow. It's it's I can't find it anywhere. That's when we kind of get that urge to fill the gap, and I'd say I'd say everybody in their life has found a gap that they could fill, but you know you actually went on the ledge like myself and other business owners and decided to fill that gap on your own. So I applaud that decision, man. Let let's talk to talk to me about what investing was like for you as a kid. I don't know if you were able to invest 
over there as a child and you open it, some kind of joint, joint account they have there. But what was your first taste like of investing? Like what was your first journey there like? For many people, you kind of think you hear about Wall Street, you see all these people walking around in suits and, and you get a bit scared off perhaps of, of effectively competing with them and kind of investing in the market. At the same time, I think kind of a lot of people are most competitive at investing at best in investing actually when they're young because they understand kind of brands in a way that older people perhaps don't. They they know kind of what's what's happening. They they understand, I don't know, kind of so which which internet sites are in vogue or have got good growth prospects, I think far more so than than people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s perhaps have a have a hold on reality like that. I think that's true. I, I I'd agree with that. You know, I find like the market is driven by consumerism. If you're if you're kind of in that age bracket, you know what people are interested in. You know, people are buying. You're more you're like out there in the field. I would say mm. you got you've got to kind of got your ear to the street, or the beat the ear to the beat more than the people sitting up in there in the office. So that that's interesting. You know, what what was like life? What was life like for you after college? Um, so I was quite fortunate. So I finished in 20, in very early 2010, and that was just as the markets were rebounding after a session. So confidence was like back. If I'd if I graduated 12 months before, I think it would have been very difficult. Um, at, at the time, I knew I wanted to come back from China to the UK uh, and just find a job, kind of lo- looking at Asia. And I, I was very fortunate. I just kind of ran. I, I just called up a couple of companies and tried my luck. And, and very fortunately, um, one of them invited me in for an interview. And a week later, I, I had a job. Okay, so what, what were you doing at the new job, at the job you just started? Yeah, so the one that I started, I was started out as an analyst, um, looking at um, companies in Asia, looking and valuing companies in Asia, lar- largely Chinese companies, but also um, India, India, Indonesia, Philippines, etc. Uh, and, and then I was assistant fund manager and then fu- fund manager. So managing a fund with about 40 to 45 holdings um, in. Okay. So I know kind of jumping all around here, so I apologize to the listeners and to you, but what made you go to China for school? What made you leave the UK and go overseas to China? Yeah, I, I mean, I think China is an absolutely fascinating country it's got a fascinating history and when you when you get to it um there's such dynamism there the people there are very kind of entrepreneurial very aspirational um and and so i knew that i wanted to kind of somehow anchor my career in that country um and of course china's going to go through its ups and downs um over time but but i do think over the coming century uh china is positioned positioned very well. Um, it's got a large growing workforce of, of quite well educated individuals who are highly driven. Okay, so it sounds like to be a young man, I'm not sure what youth is, youth is like or adolescence is like there, but it sounds like you were, you've always been thinking down the road. You know, you've been thinking, you, you're thinking about the growth that China has had in the past and that it's going to continue to grow. You decided that at, I'm assuming at 18, I'm not sure what age you guys graduate, but at 18, to go overseas, to go to China, so you can be at the right place at the right time. 
Where do you think that comes from? Was that just seeing your dad? What, what, what do you think that comes from having that mindset at such a young age? Uh, I, I think so. I mean, I know everybody's experience is different. For me, it probably comes from I, I loved look, reading history books. And I think that gives you a real perspective on life rather than thinking about kind of the next two years, you're thinking about the next 20. And, and to read history also, like it, it really puts, it just puts things in context. So where, where do you want to be, kind of what mistakes are made by others? How have kind of, when you look at the kind of great leaders of the past, kind of looking at the risks they took within their personal life to, to get where they were. Um, I, I suppose I benefited from quite a bit of that from a young age. Yeah, I think that makes a good point, especially even, even when it comes to investing, right? Looking at the history, the risks and the rewards and the history of the company. And then maybe, that, maybe that's why you're so good at what you do, because you got that, that um, love for history. So let's talk about yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, I think... Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I didn't mean oh, to... Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I, I, certainly a lot of the better investors... I, I think you, know, you can see that they have a real firm understanding of the companies that they invest in, their, their own history. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So let's talk about the book, man. Let's talk about what drove you to write the book and then let's talk about what the book is about. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, yeah, as I mentioned, I, I really wrote it because I felt that there wasn't anything good in that space. There, there's a couple of kind of very academic pieces on how you value a company. And then at the other end, you got a few quite a few, in my view, very oversimplified explanations of how to value a company. So this is really just a kind of, it's a middle of the road book for really targeted at those that are want, want to get invested personally or want to pursue a career in finance. But So we're talking about the book. You wrote this book. What's next for you now that you've written this book? So I've largely been marketing it actually over the last month. Uh, there's quite a few MBA courses who have shown interested in you kind of promoting it to, to students and a few financial service firms that are going to use it as an entry book for, for students. Okay, so I, I know you were the you were the fund manager. So what 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 was the transition from fund manager to now you're just a investor on your own? What, what what was that transition like? Was it saving up a bunch of money? Then you always had this idea to go out on your own. Talking about that that whole journey, and we have some time here. Talking about what it was like coming in on the ground floor at the fund management company, and growing, and then really getting to the point where you saw that hey, I can make this happen on my own. Yeah, sure. So, so starting at a fund management company, at least for me, was as a real eye opener in how you can look and understand businesses, companies, and brands. And, and all of a sudden you find, at least in my fir first few, few years, you're, you're kind of walking down the shopping aisle and supermarket and you're looking at brands and you think, oh, how would they price that? It's, it's really a kind of, for me, it was a very different way of thinking to how I had thought in the past. Uh, and, and I loved it as well, because the great thing about investing is it's very quantifiable how well or badly you are doing uh, during any <laughs> And, and I like the lot because when you look at most professions, it really isn't very quantifiable your value add. Um, if it's consultancy or you're working kind of entertainment or something, it's, it's very difficult, difficult to put a, a number behind how well you've done. But it, it's absolutely different with investment. I, I can tell you in any given year how well or badly I, I have done. Uh, and, and I really enjoyed that side of it. And you, you've got some phenomenal minds in investment as well um, in the US as you do in the UK. 
And for those interested in going into that type of field, um, it's also great in terms of from quite a young stage in your career, you get quite good exposure to, to, to some very smart people in management, um, managing companies. Uh, and that for me as well was, was very exciting. Uh, just meeting some people that kind of very, very respectable people who, who have, have got incredible life stories. Uh, I learned a lot from that. Yeah, that's uh, a, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. So I, and then I was just going to say, and then so it's been quite different investing on by myself more recently. It, there's quite a few things that I like about that, though, as there's no pressure necessarily to perform in any given period, so before year end, um, etc. You can think far more long term, and actually, that's far healthier in terms of one's approach, process, and ultimately, and the returns that you can generate. Yeah, it sounds like that was uh, kind of like a, a learning a learning period for you. You know, you got out of school. You mentioned you got out of school. I believe your degree was what? Was your degree in economics? What was your degree in? Yeah, e economics and trade in Chinese. Okay, economics, trade in Chinese. But then you get to the to the fund management company, and you said is is almost like it was so much more than you than you had been prepared for. So it's, it's, there's nothing like getting hands on training. And you, uh, was that intimidating for you? What was that journey like for you there? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely quite intimidating because <laughs> obviously you, you learn all this economics and finance stuff, at least up for me at university. And a lot of it, it's just kind of putting into practice. It's, it's so different to how you expect. At least that was my, my, my experience. And so it really was a kind of baptism of fire. My, my first 12 months um, were, were quite a challenging period, but really enjoy, enjoyably so. Uh, you, you kind of just just using that period to soak up as much information as you can, but especially at the start of your career, it's a brilliant opportunity to ask the simple questions. Uh, it's not necessarily as easy to do that after a decade or so when people expect you to know the answer. <laughs> uh, but but certainly at the start, it, it, it's it's a very fun fun time. So, what was finances like you throughout the, like for you throughout this whole journey as you were going to school? Were you? Did you? Be, I know you began investing young. Did you begin working young and earning money on your own young? What was what was your money journey like? Yeah, yeah. So for my per personal money journey, I, I mean, I've had quite a comfortable uh, upbringing. I I did quite a few jobs in kind of in between though in summer holidays, uh, etc. Uh, and to, to be honest, I never enjoyed any of them. And it's one of the reasons why I realised from quite a young age that actually, I need to start making money and make a reasonable existence if I want to lead the type of lifestyle um, that I would enjoy. So I think, you know, obviously, money doesn't give you everything by any stretch of the imagination. There's, there's many very unhappy, wealthy individuals. Uh, but I think kind of what I learned from quite a young age is that money, it does give you options. Um, so it does give you the ability to say, I want to do this or I, I want to do that and, and being able to do those things. And, and that's, I found quite attractive. Yeah, definitely. I like that. I like that quote. Money doesn't buy you everything, but it does give you opportunity. I definitely agree with that. The opportunity, the opportunity to choose which option makes the most sense for you. I definitely agree. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's quite, the thing is that it's quite backward in many ways, because what, what at least my experience has been, 
when you're young, it's the best time to invest into the long term. But at the same time, it's the time when you probably most want to use your money. So getting a place, uh, you probably don't have much disposable income to really put into investments as savings, despite it being uh, very rational to do so at the time. And so, I, and I think probably a lot of your listeners will understand this. There's a real compromise between investing into your future and spending in the now. And being being quite disciplined about that can be quite hard, obviously. And it's like I'm big on dollar cost averaging, building the habit of putting the money away consistently and learning how to live off less. Because, you know... People always people always want to spend everything they get. At least here in the U.S., we spend the people spend pretty much whatever they have. That's why I'm big on paying yourself first, paying your future self first, putting money aside, paying. I'm big. I'm believing the tithe, paying your tithe, and then then you have your remainder to live off, and it's okay. And then once you realize, okay, I only need this much money to provide my lifestyle that that I'm happy with. Once you start making more money. It makes a lot. It makes even more sense to keep investing that because you're fine with this. Just because you get a raise doesn't mean you have to keep making more and keep living, spending more and more money. So how is it? How is it over in the UK? Do people spend money aimlessly like we do here, or is it something that's talked about more at a younger age at home? Yeah, um, I I think probably there's. People spend more on credit in the US, so I guess there is more of a kind of consumerism, arguably, I, I guess, in the US. I don't have any numbers in that. And most of my experience has been investing in emerging markets, and primarily that's China. And in China, it's a very interesting one, actually, because the older generation, obviously, you've got very high savings as a percentage of GDP. Um, that, that's been quite a cultural thing. And then you look towards the younger demographics, the younger individuals in, in, in that country and, and you're starting to see kind of the, the, the same type of consumerism that you get in in UK and, and, and US um, and people borrowing on credit those type of habits starting to filter through into the economy so so you mentioned you're doing some promoting for the book how are you doing that how are you getting your name out there? you know what I gotta I gotta stop here and what was it like becoming an author you like you you don't have any experience as an author from what we've heard so far. So what was that like? What was that journey like to go write a book? Yeah, it's quite a crazy transition, actually, because being an investor, a fund manager, you're engaging with people every day. Your your diary is pretty much filled up with meetings for almost half half that day. Um, and it's very, very active lifestyle. Being an author is entirely different. It's, it's actually quite lonely. You're kind of quite, you're very <laughs> independent. You're not really speaking to too many people. Um, at, and so it, it was It was a real change. It was odd because when I was investing, I'd literally wake up in the morning, I'd roll over, I'd pick up my phone and look at Bloomberg to see how the markets were doing. Uh, that that was my morning. And all of a sudden, I don't have to wake up at kind of 6, 6, <laughs> or I can wake up at 7.30 and then just work a bit later in the evening. You kind of, your, your life is not all about the markets in a way that it, you really do feel kind of hooked into the system when, when, you, when you're out there being a fund manager or analyst or investing. Uh, so that it, it was. It took a while actually to adjust to that. Uh, the other big change was when you're a fund manager. Every it's it's everything is about making it concise, clear, short, kind of taking big ideas and really reducing them down to bite size, um, so that people can easily understand that. 
with the book, it's, it's quite liberating. Uh, you can write more on a particular concept and just give a few more examples, a few more dem demonstrations, illustrations of, of everything. Uh, but at the same time, again, like my mindset wasn't really in there. It was all about trying to make everything concise as possible. So again, it took me quite a while to re kind of almost relearn the way that I write things and add more examples in and, and make it kind of use language that I wouldn't have otherwise done when, when I was an investor. Yeah, no, it, I can't imagine. Like I've been thinking about writing a book, I've been, but I like podcasting a lot better than writing a book so far. <laughs> but what was, um, how'd you go about learning like to write a book? Like to, how do I get a book published? Like this is all from the ground floor. So how'd you put together a plan to get, make your, get your book published and get it out there? Yeah, absolutely. So, so traditionally what you would have done is you would have kind of written your manuscript uh, sent it off to a publisher, and then they'd perhaps give you an upfront fee, but the, the publisher would help you edit it, they'd help you market it, um, do all the back-end parts to it and help you adjust the script and make it more kind of commercially viable, really. Uh, it's very different now because Amazon, Amazon have done an absolutely remarkable job, as they have in most fields that they're engaged in, uh, but they've made it so you can pretty much write the manuscript, so write the book on Word, um, get it formatted, upload it onto Amazon, and then Amazon will market it and distribute it for you. And, and even more impressive, so if you buy a book on Amazon, so if you buy my book on Amazon, because I self-published, for instance, uh, they will print it that day and then send it to you the next day. So it's not like the olden days where you'd have to have an attic full of kind of 500 copies of your book as you gradually sold, sold them. Um, Amazon print on demand. And again, that's, that's very powerful because it means that your working capital uh, is is far far slimmer. You're not having to put any cost into into it as an author in a way that you you would have in the in the past, or at least your publisher would have. And the economics doing that of doing that as well are far are far better. Um, on a so my book's about ten pounds. I think it's about thirteen dollars or so. Um, doing it on Amazon though, the economics are actually far better because you, you you'll make a couple of dollars on every book you you sold, and that just means for me. It's not that I make a higher margin. It just means that I can put more into marketing it. So doing things like buying Amazon keywords, um, helping promote it as a sponsored ad. Because there's Amazon's a phenomenal website, obviously, but at the same time, it is so easy for books to get lost in there. Any word that you can think of, any field that you can think of, they will have tens, if not hundreds of books on that topic. And so getting to that front page is so critical for an author. Well, we will try our best to promote your book. For the listeners, what's the name of your book? Oh, right, yeah, I've got it here actually. So not that you can see it, but it's called. So it's called the Company Valuation Playbook. Um, it's it's available on Amazon. I've got a website, uh, www.companyvaluationplaybook.com. Uh, it's it's really targeted at those that are are interested in making kind of proper informed investment decisions. It really it, it goes through the steps how you value a company and its shares. So fundamental investing, looking at kind of relative valuation where you use multiples or yields to determine a company's value or intrinsic valuation where the assumption there is basically a company is worth, is based on the cash flows it generates adjusted for risk. And that, one, that one's a bit more complicated, but again, but again it's, it's all explained in the book. I'm glad, man. I'm glad that this resource is out there because you know, there's so many people in my generation, you know, 
I have my securities licenses. I'm a financial planner. For, that's my profession. But I have so many clients who are trying to go out there and do it on their own. And they're just kind of shooting from the hip. Like, this feels good. This feels good. And because their age, they've only seen good markets. So it's, you can throw a dart right now. You know, you can throw a dart in the dark and have a pretty good shot of making some money. But when it, there's really no valuation. They know they're not using any remedy or any formula on what mm. they're picking other than, hey, this sounds good. Even if it's companies they haven't heard of. Like we talked about at the beginning, like when you began investing, you know, I, I, I know this company's going to do good because it's like Google. Like Google did good and Google is not here anymore. This makes sense. There was none of that. It's kind of like, hey, I feel like this is going to do good. Hey, I was right. I must be a genius. And they're continuing to do this. So I, I'm so glad this resource is out here. I'll put a link to your Amazon page in the show notes. Um, I got to ask some things about the UK. Yeah, go ahead. I don't know how how well known you are, but have you had a chance to meet Gordon Ramsay or eat at one of his restaurants? I have eaten at his restaurants. I've never <laughs> met him. <laughs> I, don't know, I think he spent a period living out in the US. Perhaps he's batting back in the UK now, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, like there's there's what sixty million people in the UK. So it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have enjoyed some of his shows though. Yeah, I love Gordon Ramsay. I'm a big fan of Gordon Ramsay. What about Anthony Joshua? Are you a big Anthony Joshua fan? Yeah, you know what? I I, I don't watch boxing, uh, but he he seems a really nice, down to earth bloke. As much as you can tell from, uh, he's seems to be like good to his family and all the rest of it, which I think is as important as being a kind of exceptional athlete. Uh, right. So no, he's, he, yeah, it's certainly something somebody I'd support. Yeah, I agree. It seems like just a good down to earth person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. Is, is he from like a, do you know where he's from as far as like where he grew up? Was he from a yeah, sure. I think he's actually from East London. I might be wrong. Um, but yeah, so so he's from London. I think he had kind of not not a particularly wealthy childhood in terms of like like his parents' background, etc. But um, and I think he was actually quite late to boxing as well. He wasn't one of those people that kind of got pushed from a very young age into boxing. But he he certainly seems to have a lot of natural talent. Yeah, uh, which is healthy. I agree. And you know, it's, the reason I asked about where he's from is because, you know, I used to box. Most boxers are from, like, urban areas here in here in the States. And you can kind of tell if someone's from an urban area by the way they talk. But it's so funny for us to see someone like Anthony Joshua, like, because he speaks, the, <laughs> what is it, the King's English. And you wouldn't assume that he's from an area like that, but you just said, like, it was not the most wealthiest area the most yeah, uh, but I, I totally agree. I mean, he, for, even for me, when you think about boxers, you don't normally consider them to be articulate or thoughtful. But when you hear him speak, he is quite articulate. Um, he knows how to get, get his point across. And I just think he comes across as quite a level-headed guy, uh, which is nice. Yeah, he, He's probably a good role model. Yeah, I agree. I, I enjoy him. But hey, man, it's been awesome having you on the show. Uh, we, we've got some time. Is there anything you want to make sure you add? Any any links you want to share? Any any shout outs you want to give before we wrap it up? 
Uh, no thanks, but it's been awesome being on the show. So uh, thanks, obviously, for having me. It's a pleasure, Charlie. I, I will check out your book. I include a, I will include a link in the show notes. Brilliant. You have a blessed one. Okay, have a good day. Payne Boyer is a financial professional with Homes Financial of and Securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company Financial Services, Inc., BFCFS member FINRA, FIPC Homes Financial is independent of BFCFS.